this time. We're so glad you're here. We are in a study in the book of Colossians, and this has been rich and encouraging and faith building. And, and one of the reasons why we chose this particular book uh, just in starting off is because there is a central theme about Christ and throughout the book of Colossians, that Christ is to be preeminent, that he's to be first, that he is to be central And as a church, the church of God, the body of Christ, is built on Christ. He's the foundation. So it's all about Him. And so that's our goal. That's our desire here to put the spotlight on Jesus, to magnify Jesus. Pastor Mike Ward started started us off in chapter 1 with living a life pleasing to God and, and, and Paul's prayer. After that, we talked about the supremacy of Christ, Christ being supreme, Christ being first uh, over everything, over all of creation, and Him being the Savior and Redeemer of all who believe in Him. And then last week, we talked about Christ, or us being third. Specifically, the Apostle Paul said that he suffered. He suffered. He experienced suffering for the sake of the Colossians. And so the Apostle Paul, he put Christ first and exhorted the Colossians to put Christ first. And this week we're going to talk about the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. And this is important because one of the, the main points here, and actually we got a key verse here in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. One of the main emphasis in this book is that, is that Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. He, you don't have to add anything to what you've been given in Christ when it comes to salvation. He's enough. And so Paul was concerned, even though he hadn't met the Colossian Christians, he was concerned about them being drawn away with some of these false teachings. And there's debate about what specifically these, these teachers or teachings were. They're, they're, it's, we do have some hints of what was, what was going on based on what Paul said here. Uh, some would say that they were Judaizers. Others would say that they were Gnostic or um, Gnostic legalist. There was some syncretism mixed in, kind of some, kind of mixing some different things together. Maybe some Oriental, Oriental mysticism and uh, and, and some, some asceticism and th- different things that Paul mentions here in chapter two. But here's the main thing: the main thing is that we are to be rooted and grounded in Christ putting Christ first and not let anything, regardless of who it is or what teaching it is, any teaching that takes away from who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are in him as Christians, we should reject it. And so we're going to dig into this. I'm going to pray. We're going to get started. We're in Colossians chapter two. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that in Jesus we have everything we need. And may we live like it. May we think like it. May we talk like it. May we come and experience corporate worship like we have everything we need. Like as we sang earlier, Christ is enough for me that that truth would sink deep within us, God. And that we would be secure and stable in who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us and who Jesus is. And that we would stand through these times of shaking In times of darkness, I pray that you would strengthen your people here tonight as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, 
rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all who is the head of all rule and authority and in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling our record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And all God's people said... Amen. This is the victory we have in Jesus described for us there. And here's the big idea. Here's where we're going from this text. The big idea is simply this, is that all in Christ, all that Christ is and has done for us is enough for our salvation. And in Him, we have new identity and status before God. Therefore, We are to be stable and steadfast, trusting in Him, and we must not deviate from the gospel that we've heard. So the Apostle Paul exhorts the Colossians, first of all, he says, he says, walk as you've received Jesus, so walk in Him. So here's, here's my first point. Christians must be stable and steadfast, walking in Christ, and must be aware of false teachers and teachings that deviate from the gospel. So as you've received Jesus, so walk in Him. The Colossians had heard the Gospel. They believed the Gospel. They received Jesus Christ as Lord. They didn't merely receive a teaching. They received a person. They received Jesus as Lord. Paul says uh, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. They had received Jesus as Lord. Paul, uh, uh, in chapter 1, spends time trying to unpack for us who Jesus is, that He's the supreme creator and sustainer of all things. He's Lord. He's Lord over all creation. He's Lord over all of human history. He reigns and rules as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Colossians receive Jesus as their Lord. But Christians, after receiving Jesus as Lord, they need to live like Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things that I say? So Christians should live like Jesus is Lord of their life. Like Jesus has saved them and delivered them and rescued them out of the domain of darkness and transferred them into His kingdom. They should live like it. Rooted and built up in Him. Established in the faith just as you were taught. Abounding 
with thanksgiving. So Paul's using several metaphors throughout this chapter. He's kind of mixing them up, and we could spend time on, on each one of those. But I, I just want to highlight a couple of them. And, and one, the first one is rooted, the idea of being rooted. Okay? That communicates the, the idea of stability. That communicates um, the idea of being connected and having depth. And, and, and it, it describes our relationship, our connection with Christ, the, this, this deep connection with Him from which roots convey nourishment, they convey water, and they, convey, they, they give stability to a tree. Right? And the Bible in several places likens us to be like trees. A good tree or a bad tree. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. <laughs> Triple digit weather right now. And just look at what it does to plants and grass. It, that doesn't have water, doesn't have moisture. It just scorches it. How many of y'all got scorched lawns? Okay, you got, you got to water those things or they will die, right? This tree, the, the person who trusts in God is like a tree that's, that's planted by water. The roots go out by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and, does, and, is, and, is, and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. So here's, the, here's a similar idea that the Apostle Paul's saying to the Colossians. Continue to walk in Jesus. Be rooted in Him. Built up in Him. Established in the faith. So this idea of rooted conveys stability and steadfastness being planted. You're not going anywhere. How many of y'all know we need to be rooted in these times? Because there are all kinds of winds of doctrine. And there are all, t- all kinds of storms and trials that we're going to face. We're promised it. It's going to happen, right? And so we must be rooted in Christ. And the person who trusts in Him is rooted in Him. So the other concept is, is to be built up in Him. Communicates the idea of a building. Paul often describes those he ministered to the church as a building. Ephesians does that. First uh, Corinthians does that. He, 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 you're God's building. Okay? Jesus is the foundation. Right? And then there's this building that's taking place. Work that God's doing in our lives. And He has done and He is doing. And we're to be established in the faith. These three participles are, are, are passive. And this next one is, is, is active. Uh, abounding with thanksgiving is, is the, the other one here. Um, actually, before I go to that, let me let me go back to Colossians 1, 21 through 23, because Paul's already kind of said this in a sense. He says, Colossians 1, 21, and you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which was proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and so on. Uh, so Paul is concerned about the Colossians being stable and steadfast, and and we too need to be stable and steadfast. We need to we need to stand against winds of doctrine that would take away 
from Christ and what He's done would minimize what He's done. And we need to, we need to be rooted and grounded in, in, in Christ and what we've heard from Him. And along with that, we need to be thankful. We need to let thanksgiving abound. If, we, if we're going to live like Jesus is enough, that Christ is sufficient, that there's, we have sufficiency in Him, then we're going to abound with thanksgiving for all that we have. Versus thinking, if I just had this. If I just had this, or if I just did this, I'll be, I'll be a gold member in God's family. I'll, I'll get the platinum membership and greater privileges in the family of God. There's no gold and platinum membership in the family of God. If you're in, you're in. And all the benefits and blessings are yours in Christ. Okay, you don't add to it by doing some, some you know, religious things externally. Don't touch, don't taste, and, and so on. As Paul gets into it in the second part of this chapter, we have what we need in Jesus. He's enough. He's enough. What He's done on the cross is enough for our salvation. Who He's made us is enough. And so we're to be steadfast in that. We're to, be, we're, to, we're to let that truth be solidified in our hearts that Christ is enough. That will help us be stable. That will help us be steadfast. That He's enough. He's purchased us. We belong to Him. So may we be rooted and grounded in Him and not shaken by anything. And specifically, Paul, the warnings that Paul gives... Or philosophy, verse, verse 8. I'm going to go back here to verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. And so Paul was concerned that the, the Colossians would be taken captive, if you will, by, by these false teachers or these false teachings. And again, there's debate exactly about what, who these guys were. You know, whether they were Judaizers or Gnostics or just kind of a syncretism, just kind of a, a mix of stuff. So their teaching was called the philosophy. When we, when we see that, that word philosophy in the ancient world, it had a much broader meaning to it than, than how we think of philosophical thought. There, there is such category and a legitimate category as Christian philosophy. You know, Christians shouldn't minimize the life of the mind because we're told in Scripture to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, right? Uh, even in Colossians, he says knowledge is the big thing. In Christ are all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. He says set your minds on the things above, chapter 3. So what we do with our minds as a Christian really matters. We should exercise our mind to think thoughts about God and deep thoughts and true thoughts. And, and as Philippians 4, 4 says, what's pure and lovely and praiseworthy and of good report and so on. But this idea of this, this philosophy, Paul characterizes it by empty deceit, by human tradition, elemental spirits. And it's in contrast to what Paul was preaching, namely the gospel. The gospel versus this philosophy. The word of truth versus deception. The gospel that liberates versus this philosophy that takes captive people. It leads people astray. And so we need to be aware uh, when there's false teaching. I've, I've had some dear brothers that I know who've been drawn away with some of the similar things that Paul's describing in this text. It grieves me. I, I'm concerned for their souls and 
the path that they've gone and the, the group of people that they've started walking with that some of these characteristics describe that group. And, and so there's a legitimate warning for, for us as Christians to, to, to be on guard and, and to stay grounded and rooted in Christ and the gospel and not deviate from that gospel message. Amen? Christians have sufficiency in Christ, so they should live like they do. Uh, for in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, or as the NSAB says, you, are com- you have been made complete in Him. I love this. You have been made complete in Him. You have what you need in Jesus. You have what you need in Jesus. This, this is something I've tried to communicate to a lot of single people because there's this idea out there that as a single person that if, if you're not married, then you're not complete until you find a spouse and then your spouse completes you. But in Christ, we're already made complete. Your spouse, your husband or your wife may compliment you, but they do not complete you. They may compliment you, but they do not complete you. You're complete in Christ. You have everything you need in Christ. And so when you have two people who love Jesus and know who they are in Jesus as single people, and they're going hard after Jesus as single people, and then you bring them together, they get married, they're freed up to just give into the relationship versus take, take, take. They're not looking to each other to, to complete one another. They're giving into the relationship. There's a different mindset here. And I think this can be applied into all relationships. It can, you know, the the idea that you have to do more to have better status with God to get that platinum or gold membership in the family of God. And, and of course, on the surface, we reject all that kind of thinking, right? We reject it, but but yet in our hearts, we... We fall into this stuff. We're, we're, we're susceptible to believing that we got to like work our way to have good status with God. I know there's been times where I've felt like that. And I have to go back to the gospel. I have to preach the gospel to myself and be reminded that Christ is enough. What he has done is enough that I am complete in him. Any teaching that minimizes Jesus, who Jesus is, what he has done and who we are in him, guard against it. Taking that in. So let's look at some of these things, these next couple of verses here. Paul goes on and he tells us, tells the Colossians that they were complete in Christ, that they had a circumcision of Christ made without hands. How many of you guys are grateful for that? That you don't have to go through that, right, to, to be a follower of Jesus? So there's this circumcision of the heart that takes place. No, no snip snip, all right? You can forego that. They've been buried with Christ through baptism. They've been raised with Christ, verse 12. They've been made alive with Christ, verse 13. They've been forgiven. They've been forgiven in Him. Their debt and record has been canceled, and their enemy has been disarmed. So here's just a few things that Paul continues to to list, that there's sufficiency in Christ. He's enough. What he's done is enough. Who he is is enough. And who he's made you is enough. Does that leave room for sanctification though? When it comes to being saved and in right status before God and a child of God, we don't add to any of that. It's grace. By grace through faith. But does Paul leave room for sanctification? Of course he does. Read chapter 3. Put to death. 
the, the deeds of the flesh, put to death sexual immorality and lying and so on. He gives a list. So that, yes, there's room for sanctification to grow, but that's more about nutrition, not addition. We don't add to what Christ has done. We, we just continue to be nourished in Him and we put off the works of the flesh. Uh, it's interesting because he, he kind of warns against legalism at the end of chapter 2. But then, you know, in chapter 3, you know, I, you could say that he warns against licentiousness. Because you're a Christian, you're, you're forgiven, you're going to heaven, and, 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 and you, you're in the family of God. It doesn't mean you just indulge your flesh. You put it to death, he says. So, an, another thing to kind of look at is here is that he has disarmed the enemy. Verse 15. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, He has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over him in him. When Paul talks about rulers and authorities, principalities, and so on, what's he talking about? Satanic spirit, demons, devil, and his host, right? Has Christ overcome the enemy? Yes, he has. Okay, now he has another prison epistle, Ephesians. And in Ephesians 6, he says we, we wrestle, right? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, blood, but against principalities, powers. and So how do we fit those two together? I think this is important because there is victory in Jesus. He has disarmed the enemy and we stand in that victory. We fight from that victory. He's been overcome by the blood of Jesus. And, and, and we overcome now, uh, Revelation 12 says, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives unto death. Christ has won. There's been a decisive blow to the enemy and we stand in that victory. Yet we still have a battle. We still have a wrestle. You know, there's a tendency in, in, in the body of Christ to either make too much of the enemy and kind of get this mindset that there's a demon behind every bush and, and be superstitious about certain things and, and, and making too much of the enemy and the, the powers of darkness. There's also another side in the body of Christ where they just completely ignore the fact that there is a spiritual realm and there's, there's a battle going on that we're to engage in and fight. We're to pray. We're to proclaim the word. We're to stand. We're to recognize that there's plans and schemes against us and our family and against the, our community and the city and this world. And we're to stand and fight, right? So we don't want to fall in, on either extreme, right? We don't want to be superstitious and over focused and, 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 and um, preoccupied with demons and, and the spiritual realm, Christ rules over them. He's, he's Lord. He's supreme. He's King of kings. He, he reigns. He's disarmed them. There is victory for us in Jesus. But yet we don't want to ignore them, okay, and, and act like they're not there. We have a responsibility to be strong in the Lord, uh, to stand in Him, to be strong in Him in the power of His might, and, and engage and put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6. So that's another sermon. But I just wanted to hit on that because we fight in that victory. And a part of that uh, victory that we stand in is that the debt record uh, against us has been canceled. As we sang tonight in that song. Thank you, Kevin, for, and worship team for leading us in that song. The debt record has been canceled. So the accuser doesn't have ammunition to accuse us with anymore because of the blood of Jesus, right? So we overcome. We don't have to walk around with guilty consciences and under shame and guilt and condemnation 
listening to the accuser of the brethren, we can walk in victory and freedom and grace because we have found mercy and grace in Christ. Amen. Let's stand in that. So one of the the consistent themes throughout the book of Colossians is this idea of of being in Christ. And I'm just going to read some of these. We've already looked at some of them in the text. that, That in Him, in whom we have redemption... In Him all things were created. In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Reconciled in His body of flesh. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. In Him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. You are filled in Him or complete in Him. You were circumcised in Him. In Him you were raised up. Triumphing over them in Him. And there's a few others in there. So in Christ, we have sufficiency, saints. We have all that we need in Jesus. So we should live like it. Amen? Actually, so some of the application that Paul gives after that, he says, therefore, okay, that's what therefore is based on what he's already said. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These things or a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going into detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And so here's some application for us. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you. Don't let anybody disqualify you and count you as invalid because you're not participating in, in Jewish practices. You know, the Sabbath, uh, the, fest, the feast. And then there's some other things in, in there. Asceticism and worship of angels. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still in the world, Still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So there's our application. Don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody disqualify you. Don't submit yourself to unbiblical regulations and rules that men conjure up to put a yoke on you. Live like Christ is enough. Think like, speak like, live like Christ is enough. Be secure in who you are in Jesus. Be secure in what He's done for you at the cross and who He's made you. You're His. He has you. You belong to Him. He's holding you in His grip of grace. And don't let anybody draw you away. Stand fast in the Gospel. And lead others into this truth. Point others to the Gospel. Let's be a Gospel-centered church. Let's be a christ Centered church, rooted and grounded in Him, helping others get grounded and built up and, and steadfast in Him so that they're not thrown around by every wind of doctrine. Remember back in chapter 1, Paul, one of his goals and his aims for the Colossians and for every person, he said, I, Him we proclaim, 
warning every man, teaching every man that we might present everyone mature in Christ. He wanted the Christians to become mature, solid, not thrown around like little children by everything somebody says, by every wind of doctrine. May we be people of the Word. As we look at Colossians 3, uh, Lord willing, next week, 3.16, he says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let the Word of what, what Jesus has said, the Gospel, the message of Christ, go deep within you. And let's, let's encourage one another with it. Let's sing it. Let's speak it. Let's, let's live a Gospel-centered community, a Christ-centered community, and build each other up and invite others to join the family of God. Amen? Do you live like Christ is sufficient for you? Or is it that next thing that will make you happy? Or that next person? Or that next event? Or whatever it is. Do you live like Christ is sufficient for you? And are you stable and steadfast in your faith? Are you secure in your identity and status in Jesus? The smile of God is on us in Jesus. We have the smile of God on us in Christ. Amen? So God, I pray that You would do Your deep work in our hearts and our lives. And that we would be filled with grace here. That we would be centered on the Gospel and on Christ. That Jesus would be our greatest joy, our greatest delight. The One in whom we trust, the One in whom we look to and run to, and that we would help this community to look to Jesus, to run to Jesus, to find refuge in Him, and sufficiency in Him, salvation in Him. If you want prayer, you're welcome to come up be praying for anybody.